Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Growing up, I was a big baseball fan. Uh, my, my dad was grew up in the Houston area and was a fan of the Colt 45s and the Houston Astros, and he kind of passed that on, on to me as a big, big fan of the Astros. I was at Game 7 of the World Series last year where the Astros lost. Um, it's really hard for me to watch baseball since then. Um, but in, when I was in college, I got really even deeper into baseball and especially into uh, what's called like sabermetrics, like more advanced analytics. A lot of it came about through this one book called Moneyball. Now Moneyball turned into a movie in 2011 with, with Brad Pitt, um, but the, first, the book came out in 2003 and it's by this, uh, this finance writer, Michael Lewis, and it really is as much a business book as it is a, a baseball book because it's about differentiation. It's about how do you differentiate yourself from your competitors, especially if your budget can't be as large as theirs. Like how do you compete if you're a small market team with the New York Yankees or the LA Dodgers? And so he looks at the, the general manager of the Oakland Athletics, Billy Bean, and starts with this story about Billy Bean's life, which is a great example of, of the whole book, that Billy Bean was a great recruit. Billy Bean was a great ball player coming out of high school. He was, he was tall, he was strong, he could hit, he could throw, he could run. He had the five tools that people used to talk about a lot more than they do today. He was also very handsome. He looked like a ball player in their scouting reports, which says, looks like a ball player. Now, um, I'm not that wonderful at baseball, but I don't think you need handsomeness to, to hit it. Uh, it doesn't really impact a game of baseball. It may impact other aspects of your life, but when the ball is coming towards you, a ball doesn't slow down and you, like take a picture and say like, oh, that guy is really attractive, so I'm gonna let him hit me. It's like the ball is coming regardless of what you look like. And yet, scouts so often were kind of blinded by these external appearances and not um, able to see what was directly impacting a game. What does it take to win a game. And a lot of the analytics that came out of Moneyball, um, one that I really appreciate is called War, Wins Above Replacement. If you, um, which basically means if there's a, the idea of a replacement level player, an average player, are, would you improve a team over that average player or would you um, decrease the wins? How many extra wins would you give your team? What does it really mean to win a game? Is it, is it in the stats? Is it in your skills? Is it in your positioning? Is it in your coaching? What does it take to win a game? What does it take to succeed? My brothers and sisters, we are continuing our, our sermon series on, on the way, on what it means to follow Jesus Christ. The early Christians were not called Christians, they were called followers of the way. What can it mean to follow Jesus, what does discipleship really look like? Discipleship, one of those words that often gets confused with, with discipline, with, with either self-discipline or disciplining your children, um, but also comes from a root which means like apprenticeship, means a student, means learning. What can it mean to follow Jesus on the way? Our scripture comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 14, verses through eight. Hear these words. We don't live for ourselves and we don't die for ourselves. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. 
Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is the goal of, of discipleship? What is the goal of faith? What is the goal of a baseball game? <laughs> we can start there. A baseball game, it's a little clearer what the goal is. The goal is to score more runs than your opponent um, at the end of 27 outs and get them out 27 times. That's three outs per inning. And so, uh, you know, a perfect game, uh, the pitcher faces 27 batters because he gets them all out. You're trying to get 27 outs and you're trying to score more runs than the other guy. Those are, those are the kind of two goals. Same thing with, with basketball. We have the basketball playoffs going on right now. You want to you wanna beat another team four times. If you can beat them four times within seven games, you'll go on to the next round. And so what's going to help you to, to beat your opponent you know there's the goals of of different businesses also you can you can kind of hone in on what is the actual goal what are you trying to accomplish what is the goal of discipleship what is the goal of christian faith now there's a lot of ways to answer that question as a as a preacher i've i've answered it in a lot of different ways all of those ways come back to jesus christ and the person and work of jesus christ who jesus is what christ has done for us and what Christ offers to us. The life Christ opens up to us. We can think of the activity of God before we are aware of God, which in, in Methodist circles we call provenient grace, the activity of God in justifying us and making us right with God and square with God and the activity of God, the grace that, that makes us more holy and this I want us to, to think of as, as the goal of the discipleship. The goal of discipleship is being like Jesus Christ. Being like Jesus. It's in similar ways to a lot of, you know, apprenticeship. What apprenticeship can look like. If you're an apprentice plumber, your goal is to be a plumber. If you're an apprentice woodworker, your goal is to be a woodworker. If you're an apprentice electrician, your goal is to be your own electrician. As a Christian, as a disciple, your goal is to be like Jesus. Now, we won't be exactly like Jesus. We, cannot, we can't do that. That is, not, that is not possible. We are not the Son of God, but we are made in the image of God from creation. Our image of God has been restored through Christ's sacrifice. Through, through baptism, through the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we can become more Christ-like. And what that can look like practically, I, I often go back to this, this old Charles Wesley hymn, my favorite, my favorite old hymn. It's called, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? And there's a verse, I think it's the third verse. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. It's talking about the verse is talking about Jesus. He emptied himself of all but love. That's it. That's that's what that's what holiness can be like. That's what Christ likeness can be like. That's what following the way, the goal, emptying ourselves of all but love. And so we think of ourselves. Think about your life. Think about what you do. Who you see. Where you go. 
in our lives, in all of our lives, there are moments of love, moments that are grace-filled. There are also moments of not love, moments that we wish we could have back, moments when we weren't our best self, moments when we weren't acting Christ-like. So in this, if we, if we understand the words of Charles Wesley describing Jesus, to empty yourself of all but love, is to empty yourself of all the not-loves that are going on. And the great thing is you don't need them. You don't need these not-loves in your life. It's kind of like thinking about, thinking about Moneyball, thinking about Billy Bean. Billy Bean was a prospect who looked like a ball player. But in the end, he wasn't a ball player. He didn't need to look like a ball player to be a ball player, to succeed at what he was trying to do. He didn't need that aspect that people were looking for. He, it was unnecessary. As a Christian, there's so many things in life that, that many of us have been raised to think or, or have taught or we, whatever has happened in our life to make us think that we need this. This is so important. This is what a real man does. This is what a real woman does. This is what a cool kid does. All of these identities we put on ourselves, many of which that are not based on love, that are not based on self-sacrifice and self-offering. And what discipleship points to is that we just don't need those not loves in our life. We can empty ourselves of it. And it's, and it's really important as well. It's really important to remember that discipleship is not just a snap of the fingers. It's not just waking up one day and being like, okay, I am going to stop sinning and that's it and we're done and we're good. Um, you know, earlier in Romans, Paul goes into this in Romans 7 that I do the things I do not want to do. And I don't do the things I want to do. That happened to Paul, the apostle who received this vision of Christ. Of course, it's going to happen to us. And yet God is still faithful. Discipleship, we, we learn how to empty ourselves. We continue to do it. We, we pray for it, that we don't need that not love in our life. God offers us ways of seeing God in this world, of meeting God in this world, tools to help us empty ourselves of all, but love that, that faith is not just about our own effort or discovering ourselves, but the Holy Spirit working with us, within us, and around us to transform us into more Christ-like people. This happens in community, like we spoke last week, that God calls us together into life together. It happens in, in our own lives when we are willing to admit that we don't live for ourselves, that we don't live for ourselves, but for Christ. And there's freedom in that. We don't need to win the game called life. You don't have to try and get the high score of life. You are done with that kind of living. You are free. You are free, my brothers and sisters. You are loved, and we can offer this love to others. It's like thinking about the end of a game. You know, a game you've been watching, of baseball or basketball, the game is on the line. All the pressure is on you. You're at the free throw line. You have to get three shots and your team wins. And if you miss, your team 
loses. All that pressure is on you. That is not what God offers us. The pressure is not on you to win the game. Christ has already won the victory. It's amazing for, to be a Christian is that we can be, um, we can be um, bandwagon fans. We can come in late. We can come in at the end of the fourth quarter. And we still are a part of the team. This is that, that parable of the workers in the vineyard. And they, they, the workers come, and the workers come at the first at nine, and they receive, um, they're told they will get one denarii, and then workers come at noon, and then workers come at three, and then workers come an hour before closing. And then afterwards, they all get paid the same, because the same payment from Christ is an immeasurable gift of life together with God. And some may be, may be grumbling, those, those workers who started early, those, those Christians who have been Christian all their life and have struggled to be faithful all their life, and they see people who, who had a life apart that was not very Christ-like, a life that went wayward, a prodigal life, and they come back, and they also receive grace. And some of us may feel like the older brother to the prodigal son is like, hey, Dad, I never left. I never left. Why are you celebrating him? And yet, God's grace is sufficient. That we don't need that glory. As it says in Psalm 115, not to us, but to your name, O Lord, be the glory. The older brother was thinking about his name and not God's name. When we are jealous of people whose lives um, have, who live lives of sin before faith. We're looking at our glory. We're desiring those things that are not love. And we need to empty ourselves of that, that we don't need that in our life. The life of God is not just somberness and, and avoidance of, of fun. It is, it is the full life of being filled with Christ's purpose. Now and in the future, the kingdom of heaven is here. You don't have to wait around to join into what God is doing in our community today. God offers that to us this day. It is happening, my brothers and sisters. It is happening at our church. Lives are being transformed in the midst of a pandemic. People are being baptized in the midst of a pandemic. God is still working. God hasn't taken a break. God isn't finding other things to do on Sunday morning. God is with us, and no matter what we have done, no matter what we haven't done, God, God's doors are offered and open to us. Our church's doors are open to you. You are loved. The way is offered. You don't have to be the strongest. You don't have to be the most beautiful or the most handsome. You don't have to be, be the richest or the most well-connected. God's life is offered to you. You don't have to hit the winning shot. Christ has won the victory. You don't have to look like a Christian. Christ has won the victory. You don't have to look like a good parent. Christ has won the victory. You don't have to look like a good student. Christ has won the victory. Grace is offered to you. Take a step.
Take a step. Empty yourself of a little not love this week. Drop one of those things that you just don't need in your life this week. God will answer you as you pray. God's grace is offered to you this day. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.